Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 24 of Retro Hangover. there listening on your favorite podcast streamer you are listening to the retro hangover podcast and i'm not doing alliteration for the second week in a row because i'll just be honest i was too lazy to write it and i just didn't feel like it and well anyway i'm just being lazy so uh this week i will dial down my motivation and i will introduce everybody this is chris copleen talking i'm your co-host and we have our host the crazy konami kooky bastard shankoski you know, this lack of alliteration, I, I feel like I don't even know who you are anymore. I, I don't I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> I added a little bit, but I'll get yeah. back to it. I'll get back to it on our next episode. I, I need to okay. just take a break. All right. Well, if you say so. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, man. This. Okay. I'm going to say up front right now. This is I feel like this will be I don't want to say divisive because I don't think there are too many um, differing opinions. But let's just say, I think it's there'll be a little bit of salt. There'll be there'll be some seasoning on this particular episode. Well, at least at least for certain parts, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think there, there's there's going to be plenty of positivity. Um, there's going to be a a large pocketful of negativity and cynicism. But I think uh, we can make an overall positive experience about this. It's like remembering a uh, a family member that gets senile at the end of their life and says crazy racist things, but you remember them for all the positive things they did in their life. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to be, um, wistfully nostalgic. That, that, that's probably a good way of putting it. I think the most painful thing though, with those family members is you realize they were racist their entire life. <laughs> they were just awful all along. Yeah. But their true yeah. colors showed later. But anyway, Shane, um, <laughs> yeah. It's been a long two weeks. Not really. I think these two weeks have flown by. But how have you been doing and what have you been up to? Hmm. I'm glad you asked. Uh, you know, uh, well, he, so here's the thing. This is, we'll, We're going to start this, this thing off with a, a shameless plug because why not? Yeah, um, of course. So if, if you've been following our brand spanking new Instagram uh, feed, then you will see uh, that uh, I've started... A couple, well, one new game, at least new to me, and then kind of starting up another one that I've been playing since I was like, you know, 12 or whatever, but uh, started up a brand new save file for Final Fantasy IX. I've never played it before, but I, I ended up buying the uh, an, an original copy of it from one of the many uh, Square Enix North American store sales that they tend to have. And, uh, I think I picked that up along with, I want to say final fantasy 10 and 10 two. Um, so I figured, uh, might as well pop in FF nine and, and see what that's all about. Uh, so I've been enjoying Wait, that so far. You bought it directly from square Enix, like a physical copy. Yeah, man. I know they still do it. Um, if you don't mind me asking, how much did you drop down for it? It was not a lot. I, I don't recall now because it was a little while ago, but it for for that copy of FF9 for the PlayStation, it was probably no more than 10 bucks. That a physical copy, brand new? Yeah, like shrink wrapped, like brand new, man. 
Holy crap. Okay. Um, wow. All right. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. No, this is, this isn't any secondhand market stuff. Like they, they still have physical copies printed apparently, and they're trying to sell them off. But yeah, that, and then the, the PS2 copies of 10 and 10, two, I also have an Xbox 360 version of 13 that is sitting on my shelf that I haven't started yet, but that'll probably come later. Lucky. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, uh, so nine's been, been pretty good so far. I haven't gotten into it really, really deep yet. I will say that, uh, I immediately remembered how much I kind of don't like the frequency of random encounters. Uh. Um, when I'm like trying to search an area for a lot of the, you know, hidden like chests or items that are, uh, pretty prevalent in that game. And I get stopped every like 20 seconds by a random battle that's kind of frustrating but um i guess good for xp grinding i don't know it's, it's classical it, it is yeah it's but, everything uh, in the greatness but yeah no i've been doing that and uh as i mentioned on 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 instagram i've also uh decided to roll up yet another diablo 2 uh, lord of destruction character so uh my my brand new Hydra frozen orb sorceress is like level 26 I think right now so that's that's always a good time um I also a quick plug if anybody is a D2 fan or if you've maybe never played it and and want to get into it and see what all the the hubbub is about um well a if you don't own a copy you can actually still buy Diablo 2 legitimately from Blizzard for like 20 bucks or something and that comes with the, you know, Lord of Destruction expansion and everything. Huh. Um, but once you get that, if you don't already have it, uh, go check out Path of Diablo. Uh, I believe I believe it's just pathofdiablo.com. It's a uh, a private server that is uh, it's legit as far as I know, um, and they do a really good job of basically recreating the Battle.net experience and keeping the game as close to how the original played as possible while also um, kind of rebalancing some of the skills and the skill trees that like were, you know, severely underused and things like that. So it's just some balance stuff that I think was probably really needed for the game, but that's what I've been playing on. And uh, it's been, it's been a good experience. So definitely huh. check that out. Always time for Diablo two, I guess. Oh Yes. But uh, what about you, Chris? What what have you been keeping busy with besides besides the book learning, I suppose? Uh, yeah. So like Shane said, I'm still in college. I'm going to be in college for probably another year and a half or so as I try to get my bachelor's degree. Uh, I've probably been overly concerned about whether or not our state will ever get a new governor or senator. So I've uh, <laughs> been paying attention to that. Good luck. Good old Florida. We'll figure it out one day. I don't know when that will be, but one day we'll figure things out. And uh, in terms of video games, I still hate myself, so I'm, I'm, I'm slowly getting closer to wrapping up my second playthrough of Persona 5. Like I said, I haven't had a lot of time really with college work uh, and actual work to get deep diving into the video games. Um, so I'm getting closer and closer to that. Got some of the trophies I didn't get last time because I'm trying to complete it, but I'm going to wait till my third playthrough if that ever happens to get the platinum and that really bothers me because there's a quest in that game that like so many many persona 5 talk about here um 
there's a character that gives you quests uh, once you get a certain level of uh, social link if you haven't played it i'm trying to talk to people who haven't played it before but once you get like a certain <laughs> reputation Hi, yes you have to get a certain reputation with a certain character who gives you quests uh through your instant messaging system and if you either miss miss the quest or he doesn't give it to you you cannot make up that quest for the rest of the game and one of the trophies is complete all the quests Oh, so this sounds like Dead Rising and the reason I hate Dead Rising. <clears throat> right. I mean, the, the quest itself won't stop gameplay. It won't keep you from getting other quests. Sure. But yeah. it will keep you from getting the damn trophy slash achievement. Mm-hmm. So when I'm trying to com- fully complete the game, this was, of course, a quest I got in my first playthrough, but didn't complete all the quests because at a certain point in the game, in order to get a quest from a character, you need to go to school and you stop going to school. And I hadn't well, made it to the point where that character and it's still like there's a still an entire quarter of the game left. Well, and anything that requires me to go to school to complete it, I don't want any part of. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> so um, I'm just going to try and get whatever I can, except for that one trophy on this playthrough. Uh, and hopefully one day, maybe I'll go back to it. But total amount of hours. And this is where I'm a sadist. I'm at one hundred and fifty five. Uh of playing this respectable game respectable number and the first playthrough like i said 150 hours so i'm going through the second playthrough a lot faster but i'm really ready for something else so i started playing final fantasy 9 because i saw shane post that final fantasy 9 was going to be played by him so i thought hey great opportunity to play a game that i have mixed emotions about and maybe do an episode on later so we can take down notes and maybe have a deep dive into it because a lot of people do love final fantasy 9 um I'll talk more about it then, but it's just one of those games I get about halfway through and then I'm just like, screw it, I'm done with it. It's not because I'm overly frustrated. It's not because I hate the game. I like the game mechanics. I just think I'm turned off by the fact that they all look like a bunch of Jim Hansen puppets and the main character looks like a Jim Hansen puppet of David Bowie. So that eventually... (laughs) Dude, that's exactly the thing that Brianna said too. We're going to save the world with David Bowie. I'm like, yeah, you're... You're not wrong. It's, he's it's like the monkey half son of David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I, I can't get past that. Um, the, the the graphical style is just it grates on me. But everything like gameplay, mechanic wise, story wise, it has probably some of the most uh, interesting plot points in a Final Fantasy game because that can be expounded upon about like what what is life what's the meaning of life what does it mean to be alive stuff like that but when they all look like muppets uh, it's i don't know i'm gonna try i'm gonna really try and do it it's a fun game and hopefully an episode one of the other funny things about it is i realized when i looked at the the cover of the game case i was like you know there was like i think there's like five of the characters on the case and having never even played the game, I could already identify three out of the five just from general exposure to Final Fantasy material. <laughs> and Record Keeper? Uh, yeah, Record Keeper and and uh, Opera Omnia for sure. Like I was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's Zidane. That's uh, that's Steiner. Like yeah, no, I I recognize all these people. We'll talk plenty about Final Fantasy Nine when we get to it. I have some pretty good stories. I'm sure you will too. Um, it's a decent game. A lot of people love it. I know why. Oh, and Vivi. Of course, I have my can't forget Vivi. Oh, Vivi's awesome. Yeah, I love Vivi. 
So, uh, all right, Chris, what, uh, what are we, what are we talking about today? What's our, what's our topic? Since we didn't directly get to it at the beginning of the episode, but yeah. heavily alluded to it, mm. today's con- today's topic will be about the immortal Konami. Uh, rest in peace. <laughs> uh, Konami. Oh yes. Uh, who doesn't love Konami? So Most that will be our episode today. Uh, to start off, I think it would be appropriate to start off with a brief history. What do you think? That what do you think about that, Shane? You know what? I think that's an excellent idea, Chris. Why don't you uh, take it away with the uh, the brief history of Konami? So Lex Luthor walked into a bar one day in Japan on March 21st, 1969, and decided Superman was being a giant pain in the ass. So he wanted to create an evil empire, one the likes the world has never seen before, and use the guise of video games as a facade so he could do evil and nefarious things without ever getting caught. What? It wasn't Lex Luthor. I, I don't believe you. Fine, fine. I mean, it was Kingpin, right? I got my universes messed up. No? Oh, shit. Okay, anyway, Galactus, using the alias Kagemasa Kozuki, formed the company in the aforementioned date of March 21st, 1969, before officially becoming the Konamini we all loathe and, uh, love and hate on March 19th, 1973. They originally started as a jukebox rental and repair business before developing arcade machines in 1978. The first Konami games that released would be Block Game, Block Invader, Spaceship, and Space King. I mean, these are truly humble beginnings. Uh, these aren't very original names. Block and uh, Space. Block and Space. In 1981, Konami would see notable success with a little-known game as Frogger. Never heard of Less it. Less than a year later, Konami would establish a U.S. base of operations in 1982, and the quest for world domination and corruption was underway. While slowly infiltrating the arcade market, Konami began making games for the Atari 2600 and the Japanese-exclusive MSX in the homeland. It wasn't long before Konami became a household name, well, for gamers anyway, when they started developing for Nintendo's Famicom, or the NES here in the States, or NES for assholes. <laughs> the, the NES would see success with the birth of franchises like Castlevania, Woo. Contra, and Metal Gear, and had a license games well in the case of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Woo. Top Gun, and Goonies. And if you didn't know, if you had a game that you thought was made by a company called Ultra Games during this time, that was really Konami. Sneaky Nintendo bastard. had a super fascist third-party rule set back then about how many games a publisher could release, so many publishers created different brands to get around it. Ultra was that brand for Konami. Konami would continue to support the arcade and home markets well into the 16 bit era, developing games for all major systems like Mega Drive slash Genesis, uh, SNES, the PC Engine slash TurboGrafx-16, and even lesser-known Japanese-only computers like the Sharp X6800. Konami had defined itself as a talented studio with a plethora of successful IPs, building on the well-known franchise of the 8-bit generation while creating new IPs and solidifying, solidifying the brand name. During the 32-bit era, Konami would continue to churn out genre-defining games like Castlevania Symphony of the Night and Metal Gear Solid, and fresh new IPs like Silent Hill. Konami also corrupted the world, as is with all evil corporations, with the ushering in of the rhythm game genre. Known collectively as Beimani, 
for its initial game, Beat Mania, they took Japan by storm with games like Beat Mania, Poppin' Music, Guitar Freaks, and the ever-insidious and infamous Dance Dance Revolution. Konami wouldn't slow down moving into the six generations of consoles, which pretty much staying exclusive to the PS2 with games like Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3, Silent Hill 2, and the ever-loved 3D Castlevania games. Maybe not the 3D Castlevania games. Yeah, not so It would still deliver to all systems, especially for the Game Boy Advance and Nintendo DS, where the Metroidvania-themed Castlevania games would thrive in their native 2D environment. By the seventh generation... Uh, we would start to see a dark turn for Konami. Dun, dun. While there were great games released, they still mostly stuck to the well-established IPs like Metal Gear Solid and Winning Eleven, which is you know a big Japanese uh, professional soccer game. I was going to say, I have no Kana- idea what that is. <laughs> yeah, it was a huge seller back in the day. Yeah. Konami would openly focus more on pachinko machines, which are Japanese gambling devices, Boo. in the Japanese market. Yes. And be largely criticized for overworking their staff and exploiting their IPs. Much of this was brought to light at the dawn of the 8th generation, where Hideo Kojima, mastermind of the Metal Gear series, was pretty much publicly disgraced in the lead-up to the release of Metal Gear Solid Five, including the cancellation of the highly anticipated Silent Hills for the PlayStation 4. I'm still salty about become that. Apparent, yes, it had become apparent... That Konami had become a husk or a shell of its former self, and many fans of the company revered it more for the company it was than the company it had become. Do you hear it that, Blizzard? On full evil. No, Activision. Activision is the one who who needs to hear it. Blizzard is cool. Mm, debatable. I guess, I guess that's a weird fun. That's fine. Pun. Continue. Oh, they're not Blizzard anymore. Yes. Anyway, Konami still does release games from time to time. However. Uh, including the recently released Dracula X Requiem bundle, uh, which just came out on the PlayStation 4. But it's clear that Konami's best days are behind them. Konami was once one of the greatest video game developers on the planet and had great games in every genre on every platform. And their games released in the 80s and the 90s will always be treasured by any gamer of that era, regardless of where the company is today. But still, as podcast favorite of ours... Jim Sterling said, fuck Konami, because Konami is Konami, and Konami is the worst. That is your history of Konami. <laughs> Alright, thanks, Chris. Um, and yes, Konami is Konami, and Konami is yes. the worst. Okay, so um, now that we've talked about the history, I think it's important that we, we kind of talk about the games and Konami itself and what we perceived of Konami throughout the years. Uh, we both, I think we both experienced Konami during the 8 and 16-bit generation quite a bit. Uh, I know I did at least, Shane. How about you? Uh, yeah, I think it, it was more 16-bit for me. Um, I think that's where I kind of picked up more, honestly. But but yeah, mm-hmm. um, some experience with both, for sure. So w- when we were kind of prepping for this episode, we, want, we put together uh, relatively brief lists of some of the best games in our opinion that uh konami was associated with um as we were we were growing up that made a you know made a uh, a positive impact on our lives and the lists actually looking comparatively chris's list and mine are are fairly similar in many many ways um because if, if you don't know once you hear them you'll you'll realize just how big konami well was and and how much of an impact they had on the the you know the video game industry as a whole um 
so I guess kind of starting with those earlier titles, the eight and 16 bit, you know, era stuff, uh, for me, definitely Castlevania, um, that goes without question. And, uh, for me personally, that, that one, again, I, I didn't really, really get into that until more of like the SNES time frame. like Castlevania four was one that I played a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Contra is definitely up there. But Contra 3, The Alien Wars, is still, to this day, one of my favorite games. So, fun fact about that, by the way. Um, I have been told that Contra 3 is a difficult game. Uh, much in the way that Contra, just as a series, has always been known as a, a relatively unforgiving uh, experience. Uh, but for that one in particular, I uh-huh. I don't see it. But that's because... That was one of the titles that I played so much um, as a kid that even to this day, I can sit down in front of a Super Nintendo and play Contra 3 from start to finish in one sitting. Now, now see, that's one of those games that I go back and play. I remember being a lot better at it than I am, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Or maybe I was just better at it when I was younger. I think we all have those types of games where we're like, man, I can't, why can't I get past this part? I remember just destroying it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Contra 3 is definitely one of those games where I start to have serious issues Are the is the level when the two Terminators come out. And I can still play that game up until about that point. And then I just get my ass reamed. It's it's quite embarrassing. I don't know how to beat those guys efficiently. Oh, but up until that point, I can, yeah, I can tell I, you I, I that's super easy. Kill them when when was when they come out. All you got to do is just jump up, climb up the wall, and hang from one of the corners of the room and shoot diagonally, and they jump through mm-hmm. your bullets, and you can just melt them that way. And they usually can't hit you there. Oh, super easy. Okay, yeah. I need to figure these things out. Well, see, but, but that's when it, but that's like exactly what I mean, right? Is like the only yeah. reason I know that is because I played that game to death. So like I know every weapon drop, I know every enemy pattern. Like that's just burned into my brain probably until I die. Right. Also, the mode seven top down levels. I am terrible at those now. Oh yeah. I know for a fact I was not terrible at them when I was younger. Like I used to actually be pretty good at them, but. I cannot, to be fair, I those levels are also correctly now. not super great. Like, the game as a whole is no. good, but those top-down levels are kind of garbage. The The second one, especially, with all the spinning tiles and places where you mm-hmm. can just fall to your death. Like, that one's not fun. But Right. But anyway, uh, so yeah, so that one, um, I, we've got, I got Life Force on there. That's, that's an 8-bit era one. Um, that was mm-hmm. actually one of the games that I did own for my NES. Never actually got very far in that one by the way. Uh, <laughs> it's easier when you have an NES advantage. Yeah, I bet, yeah. But uh, Konami was also associated with a lot of really standout arcade titles, too. And so, like, the Simpsons arcade and the X-Men arcade game, like, those two are amazing. And I will take an opportunity to play those anytime I see a cabinet somewhere, because they're awesome. Um, and then, yeah, like, just a few others. Uh, Turtles in Time was one of the huge ones for the Super Nintendo for me. That's the other one, I think, of the Super Nintendo era that mm-hmm. I can do in one sitting, like, n- even now. That that game is actually, I think, my one of my few claims to fame is, is being able to just play that from beginning to end. I remember I, I went to an event several years ago that was uh, Ninja Turtles-themed. It was a video game event, and... 
I just sat down in front of uh, Super Nintendo, popped that thing in, and I just blasted through that game solo. And I had people watching, and they were just, like, amazed. And I was like, oh, I mean, okay, I guess. Like, to me, it was just like, yeah, man, I've played this, like, a thousand times. But apparently that's impressive. I don't know. (laughs) Turtles in Time is probably my second favorite beat-em-up of all time. Mm -hmm. It's so well-made. I could play it today with no issues. Um, just like you said, if like, if I, if I sit down, I see a turtles in time on a machine and it's functional and people are going to play it. I'm going to play it sometime during the night. Oh, hell yeah. If I'm at an area, uh, you got to play turtles in time. It is such a good game. Don't, don't it's, play that shitty remake that they did of it though. It's garbage. I don't even think you can get to it anymore. I think it's, it's a digital casualty. Well, that's probably for the best. I actually still own it yeah. and yeah, it sucks. It was a travesty, mm. but, uh, yeah. And then I think I had zombies ate my neighbors on there. That was a 16 bit game too. That one was uh, classic. And, uh, also where in time is Carmen San Diego? Cause I used to love the whole Carmen San Diego series when I was younger, watch the TV show all the time and playing the game was, was always a fun time. And that was one of those ones that you could kind of get, you know, you could get past your parents with that one because you're just like you, you play it under the auspices of it being like an educational experience. Right. And I was I had to do a double take when I saw that and I had to check on it because I always thought the Carmen San Diego series was made exclusively by Broderbund. Right. Right. I didn't. And I looked it up. Yeah. I mean, where in time in Carmen San Diego was definitely made for the NES by Konami. I'm sure that it, it was kind of like one of those uh, how Sega used to license a lot of the games that couldn't come over due to Nintendo's um, crazy policies and how they were pretty much extorting third party developers back in the day. So it might have something to do with that. But I do know Broderbund later in the NES started making their own games. Yeah. So I'm still surprised that Konami was able to develop and publish that for the NES. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was I honestly I was actually surprised to see that on their list as well because uh though I did I did have some experience with that particular version of the game. Uh I think the majority of my personal time with like the Carmen San Diego and some of those other um like Math Blasters and those other educational games, which by the way, I we we totally need to do an episode about at some point. Um <laughs> was uh basically exclusively on the pc oh i miss a lot of those educational pc games but those were good man (laughs) yeah um but yeah that's kind of my list um oh and i guess Mm -hmm. i didn't mention it but obviously silent hill it's one of my favorite game series ever um or at least one through three i will also accept four the room but as far as i'm concerned the first three are kind of the definitive silent hill games Mm -hmm. uh so like shane said a lot of our interest in, in Konami games are essentially the same. Castlevania for me, uh, much like him. Uh, as long as we're talking you know, 8 and uh, 16-bit games growing up, big fan uh, more so of Castlevania 3. I really think that's an underappreciated Castlevania. I don't think that gets nearly the amount of love it does, even though it's probably the most prominent in terms of media, especially if you watch Netflix mm. recently. That that entire series is based off Castlevania 3, and a lot of the lore of Castlevania comes from that game. And it's also so really people, good it's so good. Uh, don't know where Grant is in, in the Netflix series. Maybe he'll be in season three. Uh, hashtag where's Grant? <laughs> Let's get him in there. But um, th- yes, the show is good and the video game is good. They're very good. Uh, but when most people think of the NES, they think of the, the original Castlevania and Castlevania 2, which are fine. Uh, but 
Castlevania 2 actually is not fine. But it's fine to think of Castlevania 1 <laughs> as, as terrible night the to definitive have a Castlevania game. Yeah, it was a terrible night to play that game. It's a terrible day to play that game. It's a terrible time to play that game. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Castlevania is uh, a great series, especially on the NES. And, and like you're right, Super Castlevania 4, uh, I think, really convinced a lot of people that there was a difference in power between the NES and SNES that just couldn't be made up for by staying with an NES. It's It was extremely beautiful the music was amazing plus and, uh, i really uh, appreciated the improved controls also yes uh, it's and it was amazing controls uh, you know you just make move your whip in any of the eight directions and um yeah, and you use can it as make like your a, whip all floppy and just yeah floppy whip. Around. yeah swing your whip around and, you know as and, you do uh, have a good time with it yeah yes um but that's something I think that was big about Konami before I start talking about my games, favorite games between the 8 and 16-bit generation here is when they started out as that company, and I think it's something they really lost moving forward, uh, especially after the, after the 32-bit generation and moving into the PS2, is Konami used to be a game, along with Capcom, that they were a game company where their games were synonymous with great music phenomenal music mm-hmm. that timeless music uh, castlevania has as some of the best music of the 8-bit generation even their bad games like uh the legend of bayou billy i have some <laughs> really I, good tunes i almost put that on my list just just as a joke <laughs> yeah it's it's a bad game i guess the japanese version is actually relatively playable hmm. um the the turtles games had great music oh, yeah. um just so many games were had really, really catchy tunes. And it was really great to see that. And moving into the 16-bit generation, it, it continued to get better. You know, you had, like, Sparkster had some great music. Um, Castlevania 4 and Castlevania Bloodlines had amazing music. Um, it just really never stopped with the presentation and what they were able to deliver. And I think that's why a lot of people loved konami i mean the, the, the opening theme to the nes contra is you, you play that song and anyone who played an nes back in the uh, late 80s early 90s instantly recognizes it as contra i mean uh, as long as they play contra of course everyone knows it of course um and that just seemed to get away from them as, as time went on but i think that could really be said about a, a lot of game companies that especially that were popular back then because of course no one today even talks about sunsoft but mm. uh that they were so so defining and the games were so solid other things yeah of course life force uh, i had gradius on there mm-hmm. uh, gradius is one of those defining shooters uh, you know where you get to select what kind of upgrade you're going to have throughout the game and how you pick them up and what you do at your specials and add a little bit more of a level of tactics to your shooter uh and that's pretty much it for my 8 and 16 bit of course you know 8 and 16 bit not as much exposure. I have a lot more games in the uh, like 32-bit era uh, that we can get to probably now, unless you have anything you really want to touch on on what Konami was like back in the 16-bit time frame. Uh, no, no, not really. I mean, I listen. I didn't. I didn't follow this like format at all. I just kind of talked about all my favorite shit. So it's whatever. But like, uh, oh, screw it then. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I just yeah. I one thing that came to mind when you're talking about the music though is um, Alley Cat Blues from Turtles in Time is just an amazing. Oh yeah. Backing track. It's so good. I mean, the music just in general from that game is awesome. But that's the one that like immediately comes to mind. 
and there's of course also some other hidden gems that I didn't put on here, mostly because I didn't play them. Uh, but like I said, uh, uh, Sparkster, I didn't put that on my list, but that's a good name. Or, or Rocket Knight, whatever it's called for the Genesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Contra Hardcore, I didn't like too much. Um, I tried that one, yeah, fans. I wasn't a huge fan. It's just balls difficult. Mm-hmm. It's just way too hard, and that's its, that's its greatest flaw. And uh, Axelay is another game I don't think a lot of people who know about. I think I have a copy of that. For the Super Nintendo? I think so. To, it it uses check. Mode 7. It's a gorgeous game. Yeah. Um, really gorgeous game. It's just not a lot of people really talk about it. Maybe there's a good reason for it. But um, this, they, they were really hitting their stride back then. And they would, and then you move over to, like, the PlayStation. Not so much the N64. Uh, but the PlayStation and Konami just, just continued to, to hit it out of the park. I mean, I think we both agree, and we've talked about this previously, that Castlevania Symphony of the Night... It's probably one of the greatest games ever created. Oh, yeah. And, like, you want to talk about music, man. That Bloody Tears track is probably one of, if not my favorite video game song ever. Like, that's act- not that I have my phone on anything but vibrate most of the time these days, but, like, mm-hmm. that that's my ringtone. <laughs> you do know that Bloody Tears wasn't in the PlayStation release, though, right? Uh, Actually, no, I didn't know that. It's actually in the Saturn release. Really? It's for one of the extra, yeah, it's for one of the extra um, extra areas. I think it's like in the basement area where all the weird trees are and shit. Huh. Um, but, That's but funny because yeah, I've always, yeah, I've always associated it with that. I just assumed it was always part of it. Yeah, it's um, the, the Vampire Killer Beginnings and Bloody Tears remakes mm-hmm. are all in the Saturn versions. They're not in the original PlayStation re- uh, release. Huh, well, there you go. I learned something today. Yes, but you do have to play the Saturn version, and if you've played any other version of Castlevania Symphony of the Night, you're going to be disappointed. It's a very much a flawed, <laughs> flawed, 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 flawed game. It doesn't make any sense that it's that flawed. But, of course, uh, Silent Hill also released for the PlayStation, uh, which a lot of people argue is a better game in terms of survival horror than Resident Evil. I would say it's just a better game overall. I would agree. I would say it's a better hor- it's not a better game than Resident Evil 2, but it's a better horror game than Resident Evil 2. And then I would go ahead and argue that Silent Hill 2 is a better horror game than Resident Evil 2. So there you go. I Silent Hill 2 is probably, again, it's one of the best games of all time. Mm-hmm. If you actually sit down, you take the time to play it. And if you have an Xbox, you can play the expanded version, which has more stuff to it. Uh, if I think it's uh, Silent Hill 2 Restless Dreams mm-hmm. for the Xbox, which expands upon the original game. Um, but that's if you're seeing a lot of patterns here with uh, what you see with uh, Konami is they were limitless in their genre. I have two games on my list, Azure Dreams and the Sui Coden series, which are RPGs. Um, you know, Metal Gear, Metal Gear St- Solid was, you know, stealth, tactical, espionage action is what I think they have in the fucking box or whatever they want to call themselves. But, <laughs> like, that was a different genre. Uh, Castlevania is a is a platformer, and they pretty much went with the dungeon-exploring aspect of Metroid and, and made their own kind of subgenre, Egovania or Metroidvania, out of it. Uh, so they even had sports games. If you go want to go far back as Double Dribble or uh, Blades of Steel, they yeah, made those. I was just going to say Blades of Steel. That almost made it onto my list, too. But. Yeah. Uh, fantastic games. Then they had a extremely popular sports series uh, 
in Japan mostly, like the, their, their soccer series that, that sold like hotcakes. Uh, you had a game like Zombies Ate My Neighbors, which really defines any genre. Uh, that was extremely, that was popular. Uh, shooters like Life Force and Gradius. It's, if you pick a genre, Konami pretty much covered it. I would say the only one they didn't really make a good showing in was fighters and first-person shooters. I can't think of any Konami games that excel in either of those categories. Uh, yeah, nothing really comes to mind. I mean, granted, the first-person shooter genre was probably a little later than when they were kind of hitting their prime. So I, I think some other companies probably took the lead on that one. I mean, you know, we talk about id Software in our previous doom right. episode like they're, they're kind of the ones that defined that but yeah like th- there's this there is a a a through line through all of this that is common and that is that for that particular era um you could make the argument pretty solidly i think that that konami almost defined a lot of these genres which isn't to say that there weren't other companies or other games in these genres of course but when you think of some of the most identifiable titles in each of these uh you know separate subgenres of video game most of the time you end up thinking about a, a title that was associated with konami they were just they were just that good mm-hmm I think that the closest company you could compare to Konami would have to be Capcom. Yeah. Yeah. For for you mean for that time frame? Oh yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean the only thing I think and they both had their advantages. So Capcom I wouldn't say they I mean they had their share of platformers, right? Like the and uh like action platformers. When you think of Strider and Mega Man and Bionic Commando. Mm-hmm. But I don't really feel like they went into the 32-bit era the same way that Konami did. When you you compare, you know, any of their 2D platformers to what Konami was offering on the Game Boy Advance uh, with the Castlevania series, like they still had uh, their Mega Man games, of course. Um, but Konami was really doing it better. And you could say, you know, when the RPG category, which neither Capcom or Konami really known much for you know capcom still had breath of fire but it never really matched what people think about retrospectively about you know suikoden Mm -hmm. which spawned five games you know where breath of fire kind of went down in flames ha uh uh, uh, that was terrible (laughs) uh uh, breath of fire dragon quarter and hasn't really recovered uh suikoden made five games and i think that it's just they, they suffered death at the hands of the fact that it's Konami, whereas Capcom just continues to churn things out because, of course, they're greedy bastards, just like Konami is, too. I mean, let's let's face facts. Just in a different but, way. Um, yeah, and I would say it's really hard at the end of the day to say which company is better, but today we're talking about Konami. So um, I'm just going to say for the sake of this episode, uh, uh, Konami is going to slightly edge out today. Maybe on the Capcom episode, I'll say they're better and just make all of you pissed off. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> we'll keep you guessing. But yeah, so that's a, a good segue, actually, I think. So, so we've kind of talked about some of our favorite titles from the, the yesteryear of, of Konami. But why don't you uh, lead us into why Konami has the reputation it has now and kind of where that led. So like you go back to the history, right? Um, that I was talking about 
And at the beginning of the, the, the PS3, I wouldn't say it was really the beginning of the PS3. I mean, this, things were still looking good for it because for a long this time, Konami kind of made their bed with the PlayStation 3 with Metal Gear Solid 4. That was like the biggest game the PlayStation 3 had forever. Mm-hmm. Sony thought that was going to push systems. Unfortunately, the PlayStation 3 cost $600, yeah. and the Xbox 360 only cost 400 I mean, it's big money either way, but the Xbox 360 was out a year prior and costed like $100 to $200 less than the PlayStation 3 you actually would want to buy. So, you know, Metal Gear Solid 4 was that big game. Now, Konami was still pushing some other games during that time. Most notably, probably Yu-Gi-Oh! was probably making them more money than anything. <laughs> If anyone was around during that time, I would be shocked if Yu-Gi-Oh! didn't make Konami the most amount of money uh, during that time. But I think that showed Konami where money in video gaming probably really was. And it's not necessarily in making quality games that everyone can play and in making new IPs and, you know, being that really good, genuine, kind of happy-go-lucky big name brand, but in exploiting your franchises for maximum return on profit. And that's just a personal belief. That's not anything I, I've looked up and, and can tell you exclusively. Well, but obviously it, it was, it was in the heart of the cards, Chris. Of, of course. I don't, I don't know if that's actually a Yu-Gi-Oh reference. I don't watch that crap. My, my <laughs> oldest son loves Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, I don't think he actually plays it though, but um, he watches the cartoons, but you really start to see a turn after Metal Gear Solid four. You start seeing less, really big releases you start seeing Hideo Kojima really like like they put all their bucks into Hideo Kojima carrying the company as their big name brand while they kind of just kind of made shovelware for everything else and hoped it would sell like they kept on re-releasing Dance Dance Revolution uh they kept on re-releasing you know crappy sports games but they were making money so they're like Hideo Kojima make all these great games and Hideo Kojima is great right he gets a lot of credit for stuff like Snatcher he made Metal Gear Solid which is fantastic Metal Gear Solid 2 which is is a bait and switch uh, you have <laughs> Metal Gear Solid 3 which is a fantastic game uh, Zone of the Enders I love Zone of the Enders I think it's a really fun and uh, entertaining game but the problem with Hideo Kojima games is Hideo Kojima loves Hideo Kojima and what Hideo Kojima thinks true and if you play any of his games, you'll know that. He's, um, and so he's you, perhaps what one might call a bit self-indulgent. <laughs> oh, absolutely. He is... I mean, don't get me wrong. Games... He's, he is a creative force, for sure. And, and part, mm-hmm. part of what comes with someone being at that level is they are usually... Let's go with eccentric... Uh, and and he certainly mm-hmm. is. I we, we we follow him on Instagram, and um, he just like sometimes he just posts the most random shit, which is completely expected from Kojima. But um, yeah, sorry, I didn't want to like I, I put you off track there. But um, oh no no, that's fine. Yeah, it's just I, I think at that point, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, especially right around the early two thousands. Because if you go, like, for instance, if you're listening to this, go ahead and go take a look at, like, the wiki page of list of Konami games. And you'll see right around late 90s, early 2000s, there's this very obvious shift 
from a a varied lineup of different titles in different genres and what have you to just a wall of Dance Dance Revolution spin-offs and re-releases with a small smattering of some sports games as Chris mentioned and then so at that point you kind of have to figure right that the only real creative uh energy left at the company was Kojima and, you know, the team that he was working with. Well, Ego left. Right. And Ego was the one carrying the Castlevania brand on the portable consoles. And they, from what I understand, they didn't want to let him make a Castlevania game for the mainstream home consoles, Mm -hmm. which a lot of, obviously, for obvious reasons, (laughs) pissed off Castlevania faithful. They weren't getting a genuine Castlevania experience. Now, Another reason for that, of course, is because Iga had a chance with the 3D Castlevanias, you know, Castlevania for the Nintendo 64, Lament of Innocence, and um, Curse of Darkness. Curse of Darkness, that's what it's called. Um, and they didn't turn out so well. They didn't get a lot of, uh, you know, uh, glowing reviews, they so were, to say. But They were mediocre at best. Yeah, I, like, Lament of Innocence isn't a terrible game. It's just not no, great. No, it's not. It's it's not laughably bad with laughable bad camera angles. It's just a game. That's all it is. Yeah. It's it's critical to understanding Castlevania lore, but nothing you can't understand on a Castlevania lore wiki page. Right. But um, I can understand that from a Castlevania perspective. But Iga left uh, not too long. He probably I was I don't know exactly when he left. He he probably left after Order of Ecclesia for the Nintendo DS. Yeah. Uh, Castlevania Order of Ecclesia, and you still had Hideo Kojima. So. You start, and this is something that happens with a lot of Japanese companies where they started, you know, exporting their IPs or outsourcing their IPs to Western companies to get that Western market where most money was being made. So now you start to see Castlevania Lords of Shadow, which is headed up by Hideo Kojima and Mercury Steam. So what you get is this very, very stagnant kind of. Uh, pompous Castlevania, I would say. It's very uppity. It's there's something not right with it, is what I'm trying to say. It's a and it's a little it's, bit up its own ass, which it's, yes. in no uncertain terms is also kind of how Kojima is on occasion. But you know, right? But you started seeing that you didn't get a Silent Hill game after Silent Hill Four, right? There was no Silent Hill Five, was there? Mm, there's no mainline ones, but you've got no, some of the other ones, ones like. Uh, origins and shattered uh, memories or something like shattered memories none of which were were, decent at all yeah right they didn't live up to the they didn't live up to the series standard and i think they moved away from the series standard starting with silent hill 4 if i'm not if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah they did and and just really quickly because i know we probably should start wrapping up here shortly but um I will. I, I basically give that like an honorable mention when I talk about Silent Hill games because it's not bad per per se. Um, and, and I it was they were kind of being a little bit more experimental with with the uh, how the game played and some of the expectations of, of longtime Silent Hill players. And I I will give them kudos for trying something a bit different. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that's kind of where things took a turn and then it that that series has never really recovered and i don't suspect that it will yeah 
So anyway, trying to streamline it and get to the point, Hideo Kojima was everything that Konami had, and eventually Konami started pissing off Hideo Kojima. Uh, reports started coming out that they are exploiting their employees, they were giving bad recommendations to their employees that they left the company, they are making them work ridiculous hours that would make uh, someone at Rockstar Gaming's blush, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, mm, just you know, look topical. it up and overworking, overworking uh, employees. Uh, so they started getting really bad reputations. In addition, game series that had been on the shelves for a lot started making reappearances, but on pachenko machines. So yeah, that, that's uh, what, what was not that? good business. <laughs> what, what was that? What was that clip that uh, Jim Sterling was mm-hmm. using forever? I was like, pull the lever. Is that what it yeah, was? Pull the lever. The Silent Hill pachenko machine. Oh god. Or uh, what was Castlevania like? Erotic horror or something like that yeah something like that their pachinko machine so so here's the thing right it is yeah once they had their last kind of pillar of credibility i'm going to say um sort of you know exit the company on not great terms um which was mostly their doing uh they kind of turned inward and just started leveraging their existing ips in the most like cynical money grubbing way possible. And I'm going to go back to this because damn it, I'm still salty, but this is that right there. That's called foreshadowing ladies and gentlemen, because if you ever liked blizzard, (laughs) this is exactly where they're going. And I'm going to say that now when a company starts, stops actually innovating and stops creating new quality content and instead turns inward and starts focusing on just regurgitating old stuff to play on your nostalgia. That is when things are just going to go directly down the drain. And that's exactly what happened with Konami. And that is exactly what is happening with Blizzard now. And we are going to have this conversation again in let's say five years. And I guarantee you that that is where Activision Blizzard is going to be at. Oh, yeah. And that was extremely, extremely showed its head, too, with, with Konami. And that, that, it's going to happen with Blizzard. Uh, I don't think they really have a lot of the the figureheads that Konami had with Kojima. I think that's what really blew up with, in, with Konami is, like, if, with PT, the playable trailer for Silent Hills, after Kojima split after the release of Metal Gear Solid Five, and they canceled... Uh, PT, you can't download PT anymore. Yeah, no, I know. Even if you erase it off your PlayStation 4, you cannot download it. So consumer consumer respect for Konami is probably at zero. People people who used to love Konami for what it was in the 80s and 90s, you know, as I said earlier, uh, they realize now that this Konami is not making games for them anymore. They are doing whatever they can to turn a profit and that's pretty much all they're doing and i get that's the point of business right you cannot be mad at a company for wanting to turn profit no i mean listen we're not we're not shitting on their fans yeah we're, we're not naive in that respect right i mean we both you and i understand that at the end of the day a corporation's main goal is to you know generate profit for shareholders that's it right so whatever they have to do to do that that's what they're going to do but you know, uh, what immediately comes to mind is that um, ubiquitous Batman quote now where you, you 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 either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. And that's exactly what's happening with these companies is that you have these game development houses 
um, or, or, you know, production companies, what have you, that uh, were heroes to the gaming community for so long, but they've just gone on so long at this point that they're just devolving into, you know, these, like I said, these very insular, inward-facing corporations who are caring less and less about their public image to the gaming community and are more concerned with how they can wring every red cent out of the goodwill that they generated over the last few decades. And mm-hmm. it's sad. It is. Do you think part of it could be that every everyone thinks that every video game company should kind of be like Nintendo, where they've held on to pretty much the same, the same platform and same core belief system throughout the years and hasn't really deviated much from what they are as a company and as a game company? I mean, I don't want to like put Nintendo on a pedestal because they've certainly had well, their them on a share of missteps. But oh, certainly. But as far as like a a way forward as a company, um, yeah, to a certain degree, I think so. I mean, it, the, on the other side of that same token, though, Nintendo kind of gets shit because of that very thing, because people, you know, say like, oh well, man, that's like you know, 2018, why don't they have a good, you know, friend system or they're just getting around now to being okay with like online multiplayer for Christ's sake. Like, you know, there's, there's, there's a, there's a negative side to, to the way that they do business as well in that they always seem to be like one step behind the curve. Um, right. But overall, yeah, I mean, and it, it still remains to be seen, too, because they might just have a longer trajectory, right, than some of these other companies. Because as much as I think it's a smart business move to leverage mobile platforms, I'm, I have yet to actually be impressed with any of the mobile offerings that Nintendo has put out. They aren't anything special. I mean, granted, like, Dragalia Lost evidently is doing gangbusters for them as far as revenue. So that's obviously going to continue, but that is also concerning to me as a longtime Nintendo fan that they are just taking longer to eventually get to that same cynical place that a lot of these other companies have arrived at. At electronic act of blizzards. Yes. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, Yeah. So I just want to say one thing in closing. Yes. Uh, my reaction to and this is me in closing i swear it's in closing uh, <laughs> my reaction to konami is i don't i don't necessarily hate konami as a company as as shane said we we both completely understand that the primary interest of a company is to make money right and if what a company did the thing that you love for a company to do does not make that company money anymore they're not going to do it so if Konami continued to do the things that I loved about Konami and they didn't make any money, then they shouldn't do those things as a company. Mm-hmm. But when you hear how they treat their employees, how they treat their IPs, how they treat the regard of the consumer and fans like me towards their IPs, it does genuinely earn them some saltiness from us. And at the end of the day, if they make more money from Pachinko and they make more money from exploiting their IPs to make money from Pachinko... I completely understand that, and I, I can be upset about it, but at the end of the day, they're a business, and that's their job. It's to make money, and it's not necessarily to make me happy if people other than me will give them money for no matter what they do. Yeah. 
no, I mean, that that's a pretty good way to sum it up. Honestly, I don't think I have a whole lot to add to that. I, I will say just uh, in addition, a small thing is that honestly, I think as the old grognards that we are, it's hard for us to let go of you know, some of these, uh, big names that have been a huge part of our lives. Um, but I think we have to, because uh, eventually they all end up in this place and we instead should be looking towards some of the newer, you know, batches of developers out there. There's, we have an explosion of indie game developers today and, mm-hmm you know, even just smaller companies, some of which, you know, have have folks that splintered off from some of these, you know, big monolithic corporations. Uh, By Bloodstained. Yeah, yeah, Bloodstained, for instance. Um, And and so I think we need to be looking there because there's going to be a new generation of these companies that will, you know, inevitably follow the same track, I think. But we, we should at least be there at the beginning so that we can enjoy them when they're at their best be before they just become a giant soulless corporation which let's be honest every corporation is essentially a soulless corporation eventually all right so i think that wraps it up for myself does that wrap it up for you there shane it does yeah i think we're uh (laughs) we started out with the goal of having like half hour episodes and then we were like you know what 45 minutes sounds good and now we're at an hour I promise that we won't go over an hour. That's that's our hard cutoff. So with that being yeah. said, I think we got about two minutes left before that happens. So um, I, I think going forward, by the way, I'm just going to abbreviate sort of our piece that we do about how you can get in touch with us because, um, well, there's no sense in repeating it every time. And I'm sure you don't want to hear it. So uh, by now. Uh, you probably know that you can get in touch with us in several different ways. Uh, if you want to send an email, it's uh, podcast at retrohangover.com. And outside of that, we exist on most of the popular social platforms, and you can find us pretty much anywhere by just searching for Retro Hangover. So uh, reach out to us on any of those spots. Uh, lately, we've been most active on Instagram for sure, so you can get in touch with us there. And we are small enough to pretty much respond and read every single one of your comments. So take advantage of it while you still can, because we will yeah. we will pay attention. Yeah, don't wait until we become a giant soulless corporation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, All right. until next time. <laughs> Happy gaming. Happy gaming.